you don't have to be the best on the best team. You just got to every day go out and be the very best that you can be. And then I think that will translate into their academics. I think it'll translate into their being a good son, their being a good brother, their being a good husband, eventually them being a good businessman or a good doctor or a great lawyer or a great fireman or whatever it may be. This is the Reform Sports Project, a podcast about restoring healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. Hi, this is Nick Bonacore from the Reform Sports Project podcast. Joining me today is the new head football coach of the University of Connecticut, Jim Mora. Described as a true coach on and off the field, Coach Mora brings 31 years of coaching experience in both the college ranks and the NFL to the Huskies. Jim and I discuss team culture and getting kids to buy in, the controllables, and what kids need to do to be seen. Man, I am freaking fired up. I got another just awesome guest. Can't wait to jump in with him. I've been chasing him around for a while. I'm glad he didn't file a restraining order on me, for God's sakes. I feel like I've been harassing the poor guy, but uh, he just took over a, a, a big job. I'm really excited to dig into it with him a little bit. New head coach, University of Connecticut, UConn football, Coach Jim Moore. Coach Moore, thanks so much for hopping on, man. Uh, it's great to be on here with you, Nick. No, no restraining order. You, I wouldn't say that you were harassing. You were persistent, and I'm glad you were because it gives us this chance to talk. Well, I appreciate that, and I saw around Thanksgiving time you were getting around. Uh, before we get into the whole topics here, saw you getting around the state of Connecticut. I grew up there, played in the NVL, played at Sacred Heart High School in Waterbury, and I saw you getting around the state of some uh, some traditional football games. You see any games in particular? Did you get around to Ansonia Naugatuck? I know for us that was a big rivalry around uh, our part of the state. You know, what was really fun was on Thanksgiving Day, on that morning, be able to drive down and watch what I was told was the oldest rivalry in our country. And, uh, you know, it was a beautiful New England Thanksgiving Day, a little bit of bite in the air, but sunny and clear. And just to watch the passion on the field, you know, these young men going out, it didn't matter who the record it didn't matter who they were playing against well it didn't matter what they were playing for it mattered who they were playing against obviously but it's just to be out in that environment it, you know it was like real life football it was awesome stuff man and the energy and the inspiration that i felt just being in that environment made it really special so i, I was able to get out to, to several games around our state and it was really important for me to do that number one i wanted to see football i love football i love watching young men that are just passionate about playing football and then i wanted people to understand that the state of connecticut and in our ability to recruit that state and keep young men at home at the university of connecticut was really paramount to what we're trying to achieve you know we are the state school of connecticut uh there are no professional teams so you know hopefully teams can kind of look at us as the you know the focal point of football in our state in order to do that we have to be very active in recruiting our state and that's that's our plan I love it, man. I love it as, uh, as someone who's uh, born and raised uh, in Waterbury, and, and I, I, you know, I definitely have a lot of pride. I love following you guys. I really am excited for you, and it's going to be awesome. And you know, we're going to be talking about youth and amateur sports. And you know, one thing I want to get into with you is, you know, we have a lot of coaches, a lot of high school and youth amateur, but also college coaches and parents and such, and youth athletes, uh, aspiring college athletes will listen to this. And one of the topics that I love to talk about with you is since you're, you're diving into this role is is how do, how do you create a culture? And I actually asked Coach Calhoun about this on the podcast a few weeks ago, how when he took over UConn in the mid-'80s, you know, UConn was kind of the door, you know, kind of the doormat of the Big East at that time, right? You had Syracuse, St. John's, Villanova. You know, what are your thoughts? How do you take, you know, a program that you're going into now, how do you get kids to buy in? How do you create that culture where they're all in 
trying to resurrect and build something bigger than themselves? Well, culture is a buzzword right now, and yet it's so important. And culture really is who you are, and it's what you represent, and it's what you play for, and it's and it's the standard that you hold each other to. And you know, I think that your leaders create culture, and um, language is so important to culture. You know, it's it's how are we going to talk to each other? How are we going to treat each other? What are our expectations about each other going to be? Uh, when we are falling short, you know, how are we going to address each other and how are we going to hold each other accountable? And I think there needs to be a certain level of, of, uh, I would say tolerance, but also, uh, can we speak to each other and can we hold each other to a certain level of accountability and can we create a competitive environment without being derogatory and demeaning to each other? So it's all about being demanding and yet not demeaning. Uh, it's about being able to step on another man's shoes at times, but still leave a shine. It's about being able to criticize the performance without being critical of the performer. Um, so to me, it's about creating a certain mindset. And for us at UConn, that's going to be a mindset and a culture of toughness, accountability, and discipline. And when I say accountability, I mean accountability to ourselves, to our teammates, to our families, to each other. So that peer-to-peer accountability. I would say the most successful stint that I had in my football coaching career was with the San Francisco 49ers. And I was around, you know, greatness. I mean, greatness. Sure. Talking about Jerry Rice and Steve Young and, uh, Kevin Green and Ricky Jackson and Tim McDonald and Chris Dolman and, you know, Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer. So the greatest of the greats and guys that wore Super Bowl rings and then put the yellow jackets on in Canton and, the thing that I was able to recognize really early and was so fortunate to be exposed to was this standard of excellence that they, the great ones, the Ronnie Lots and the Jerry's, that they held themselves to and yet they also held their teammates to. And, uh, I mean, they, 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 they checked each other all the time. And there, we called it the 49er standard. And it was the way we did really everything. It's the way we practiced. It's the way we dressed for practice. It's the way we prepared in meetings. It's the way we sat at team meals. It's the way we spoke to each other. It's the way we kept the locker room clean and swept the sheds. It's the way we, um, I mean, really, it was a thought process, a mindset. And it was that that standard was set by the leaders on the team, the great ones on the team. Um, and so that's what we're going to do at UConn. We're going to set a standard of excellence in everything that we do that's enforced by the leaders and adhered to by everybody. And yet it never becomes uh, a negative and derogatory type of culture. It's an encouraging culture. It's, hey, this is the way we do things. Your leaders have to be able to step up and say to those on the, uh, the team that aren't doing it the right way, hey, this is the way we do things at UConn. This is our championship standard. And when you can get buy-in, then you create a culture that is embedded in, in greatness and embedded in success and embedded in doing things the right way for the right reasons. And it, it's not easy. You know, it's not easy, especially when there hasn't been a ton of success. But if you have the right type of people, if you have the right character on your team and in your organization, then it is attainable. And I believe we have the right character within our organization and on our team and in leadership positions. And I think these young men are desperate for a feeling of success. And I think that we can we can create a culture that's going to perpetuate winning. And I'm excited about it, really excited about it. The first thought that came in my mind is uh, 
and in business they say if you take care of the top line, the bottom line will follow. Um, but in this day and age, I'm going to try to take your words and it's correlated to youth sports. It's very hard. You know, parents are out there. They're what's the right team to play for? You know, what's the right way to do it? Because if my kid's not winning, they're not going to get seen. They're not going to be in the right tournament. So how do you balance that? I know the college level is different. So let's get away from that for a second because. I think there's a difference in pursuing wins and losses at the youth level versus the collegiate level. But at the same time, I think the more you take care of the top line, the bottom line will follow. How important is it? How can coaches and even parents, you know, understand that, hey, if my kid stays in this process, right, they follow what the coach says, they worry about developing, getting 1% better every day, controlling the things they can, their attitude, effort. Because let's face it, a sport like baseball, which is my background, you're going to go 0 for 4 sometimes, but you may hit four line drives. Right, you may go three for four and have three, you know, seeing guy hits. You really didn't barrel anything up, so the stats don't always tell the whole story. But what we control is our attitude, our effort. How does that top line part, the controllables, help the output, the performance part, and help the wins over the long term? Can you talk about that? First of all, Nick, I commend you for using those words, the things we can control. When I speak to kids, when I speak to parents, those are the things I talk about: your attitude and your effort. When I talk to my kids. Like, I have four kids, and they're really good athletes. Um, one of them played D1 lacrosse for Maryland for a while. Oh, wow. Um, the others are all, you know, were my, my oldest son was a D3 soccer player. My daughter was a track athlete. My youngest son is a tremendous athlete. Uh, decided when he got to college not to pursue lacrosse anymore, although he could have. He just had other interests. Sure. But when they were growing up, you know, I didn't, I, I told them this. I said, listen, I'm never going to be critical of your performance as long as I see attitude and effort, great attitude and great effort being demonstrated. Now, if I see a poor attitude out of you or I don't see you playing with great effort, then, then I, I think I'll probably talk to you about it. Sure. You know, I'll, I'll talk to you about it. But you know what? I'm not concerned that you are the best on the field, only that you are doing your best in everything that you do. So I appreciate those words that you're speaking because I think so many of us, especially as parents, get caught up in wanting our kid to be the best, the best on the team, on the best team. And we think that's the only way that they're going to get recognized, and it's not. As a coach, I can tell you that I want to see a kid always doing their best. You know, uh, Joe Montana used to sign his, his autograph with, be your best, not be the best. He You know, to Jim. Be your best, Joe Montana. And I still have a football to my son, Cole. It says, Cole, be your best, Joe Montana. Wow. And that always stuck out to me, that it was that concept of always being your best and doing your best that mattered most. And, you know, I, I, I think that as parents, we have to be so careful that we're not... Uh, that we're not overdoing it, that we're not putting too much pressure on our kids. I understand trying to put them in the best position to have success, but really just being out there playing the sport and learning and growing, if they do that and they're always working their hardest to be their best, they are going to get noticed. We don't have to be overbearing. I will also say this. I am a huge, huge, huge proponent of multi-sport athletes. Um, I think that as parents, we have moved way too quickly towards specializing our, our, our kids. And I think it's a detriment to them. Um, I can tell you that at UCLA and now at UConn, that most of the athletes that we recruit are multi-sport athletes. They aren't just football players. You know, maybe quarterback is the one position where kids start, can start to specialize really early. But I want to see linemen that also throw the shot put or the discus or they wrestle. And I want to see skill position players that play basketball or run track or play baseball 
or do multiple, do them all. You know, I love the multi-sport athlete because to me it shows a guy that is a gym rat, that loves all these sports, that, uh, you know, has the hand-eye coordination to be a good baseball player, but is also a receiver. Uh, you know, I, I love that multi-sport athlete, and I think it also keeps our young people more interested in sports in general, and they don't sure. burn out. So that concept of attitude and effort and always try to be your best that that makes sense to me. That's what I want to see. And that's what I would encourage parents to encourage their kids to be. Is look, you don't have to be the best on the best team. You just got to every day go out and be the very best that you can be. And and then I think that will translate into their academics. I think it'll translate into their being a good son, their being a good brother, their being a good husband, um, eventually them being a good teammate them being a good businessman or a good doctor or a great lawyer or a great fireman or whatever it may be. So that's what I'm preaching always is be your best. Control what you can control, which is your attitude and your effort. And you said it better than I ever could have said it. Coach, you're making my ego go through the roof right now. You're talking, I'm getting fired up. I mean, well, you said I, the right things. I, I mean, you're, you're, we're in alignment. We already even know each other. And we're already in complete alignment. That's why it's so fun for me to talk to you. When we return, Jim and I dive into important elements for high school kids looking to play in college. Welcome back to the Reform Sports Project podcast. Where we left off, Coach Moore and I were about to discuss the importance of finding the school that's the best fit for each kid and how they can get seen in hopes of getting there. I'm very openly Division Three biased, right? And I say that because oh, I played D3. I was we, we won a national title. I was at one, I about to play for a Hall of Fame coach, Mike Fox, who went to Carolina, you know, for 22 years. But there's a D1 or bust mentality. And let's face it, coach, there are levels of D1, there are levels of D2, D3. Not everyone can play tomorrow night in the national championship game. Not everyone can go to UConn. Not everyone can play FBS, FCS. A lot of kids will hear this. You know, I have kids in my home state, and I love my, my, my kids wrestle. Um, my older boys wrestle. Most likely, my son's gonna, you know, probably go to a really good D two school here in the state. Great relationship with with a coach there. He wants to officially announce it after the season. But um, you know, so all the kids here in the state of North Carolina times, and if they're a halfway decent wrestler, they all want to go to NC State. Well, NC State's top ten in the country. Not everyone can wrestle there. I mean, there's like 13, right. 14. So the question is, is can you go there and compete, or can you go there and do you have to wait three years? Can you actually compete? How do kids figure out where they belong? How do they figure out what's the best fit for them as a student athlete? Because it might be more beneficial to go to UConn than go to Penn State, right? So how do kids sure. decipher that? Well, let me tell you the mistakes that I made. So my, my oldest son, his name's Cole, and Cole is an outstanding student, and he's a very diversified person that wants to be involved in leadership, and he wanted to be involved with... Uh, mentoring and he wanted to be involved with student government and he recognized that early and he had choices he could have gone and played soccer at stanford or cal or ucla uh he could have probably gone we, he was accepted into harvard and and some other schools but he knew that for him to have the best college experience probably his best option was to go play at a school called claremont mckenna which is a d3 school in california which is a high academic standard school because he knew he was going to get on the field and play number one but he also knew he was going to have time to do the other things that he liked because it was a d3 environment so 
it wasn't a year-round endeavor to play soccer there. So he was able to go be his his class president three of his four years at Claremont McKenna. He was able to play soccer for four years and be a starter and be an all-league guy. He was able to participate in the leadership council on campus. The day that he got that he graduated, they put him, you know, on the alumni association board of directors. Had he been a D1 athlete at a Stanford or a Cal, number one, he wouldn't have been able to play because he wasn't good enough to play at sure. that level, and he recognized that. And number two, he wouldn't have been able to participate in all these extracurriculars that he participated in because he wouldn't have the time as a D1 athlete. Now, my third child and my second son, his name is Ryder, and he was a great lacrosse player. He was an, you know, an all-American type lacrosse player who's recruited by Denver, and he's recruited by uh, Maryland. He's wow, those are the big boys in lacrosse. Brown. Yeah. Brown and Yale and, and uh, Navy. And, you know, I, as a father, became so wrapped up in the fact that he was getting these looks that I kind of pushed him. You know, I kind of pushed him in a direction I'm not sure that he wanted to go. And he ended up at Maryland. Now, I will tell you this. It's one of the greatest things that ever happened to him because he got to be around Coach Tillman, John Tillman, who I think is just as good as they get at any level in any sport as a coach. But for for Ryder, it wasn't the right environment because he loved chemistry and he wanted to be a chemistry major and he couldn't take his labs if he was playing D1 lacrosse. And he loved to play the guitar and be in a band and he couldn't do those things and play D1 level lacrosse. He just didn't have the time and he loved to surf. And I took him, you know, and kind of pushed him away from Southern California where he'd grown up and surfing. And so it was not the right environment for him. So he spent a year there, and then he transferred back to USC, where he's able to pursue all these other things. And he had come to me at one point in in his early in his career at Maryland and said, "Dad, I want to transfer. I'm homesick. I'm not able to do the things besides lacrosse that I love. I'm never going to make money playing lacrosse. I want to be involved in chemistry. I want to play the guitar. I want to be around my dog. I want to surf." And all I said to, to Ryder is, "I said, hey, pal. I said you need to finish the year." You need, you need to finish the year. And if at the end of the year you want to transfer, I said, then to me, you didn't quit. You just decided to go in a different direction. And, you know, he honored that request and he finished the year. He got a year with Coach Tillman. Um, and at the end of the year, he said, Dad, I want to thank you for two things. He said, number one, I want to thank you for letting me leave and letting me transfer to SC. But number two, I want to thank you for making me stay and making me stick it out. And it helped me build character. So, you know, if I had had it all to do over again, I would encourage him to go D3, where he could have pursued these other interests. And I think so sometimes as parents, we have to stop and listen to our children. And mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, I listened to Cole. I don't think I listened to Ryder. And I think I pushed my desire for him to be a D1 athlete on him, and it was not the right thing to do. Now, fortunately, he got in the right situation, but I think as parents, it's about sometimes listening to our kids and what's really important to them as opposed to what's important to us. Wow, that's a great, I mean, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. That was a long-winded answer, and I'm sorry, and I hope you can work it in, but I think it's good advice because it's a lesson hard learned by me. No, that's real stuff, man. That's your own personal experience, and you got me. I mean, I'd like to think I'm trying to do my best, but it's hard as a parent. You know, at times we feel like we know it all. We also, it's 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 humbling to sometimes admit that, at least I know for me at one point, my, my ego got wrapped up in things, and that's why yeah. I kind of started that. It's it's a challenging thing. We all have a competition that runs through us, but I don't think any parents have any ill intentions. We all want to try our best, but it ain't easy, right? There's no, there's no, hey, follow this set of rules. Each kid's different, which is why, you know, it's so important, I think, for people to share their experience. And coach, people are looking for the right information on how to get seen, right? How to get, how do they get on Jim Moore? 
Moore's radar. Let's say I'm a kid who can go to a, uh, a Big Ten school or go to the, an SEC or ACC school and maybe have a chance, but why would UConn be a good fit? Like, what are you looking for? You know, you got the mic. What are you looking for in recruits? I know you touched on it. You love multi-sport athletes, high character. But what can these kids, if they want to get on your radar, what do they got to do to be seen by it? Well, I think that, number one, play good football at any level you're playing at. So play well for your team. Um, now, that's not enough, though, unfortunately, in this world, because you do need to get seen. So if you can get to camps, you know, where we can get measurables and, and you can compete against other people than, than just the people that are in your league, um, if you can, you know, if you're a, a skill guy, if you can get yourself on a seven on seven team, you know, where we can watch you compete in things other than just a game environment. You know, we can watch you in a seven on seven situation. We can watch you at a camp do some one on one or run a 40 or do some three cone stuff. If you're a lineman, same thing. If you can get to some of these camps or you can get involved with the rivals camp or the 24, 247 camps or uh, some of the things that Sports Illustrator, ESPN, or, or other local entities are putting on, um, we get a look at you. If you can get your film out on YouTube and huddle so we can get a chance to evaluate you. Um, but what I'm looking for beyond just talent and character is I'm looking for young men that, that have competitive greatness. You know, that John Wooden is the one that coined this term, but you're at your best when your best is needed. You know, someone that's that's accountable, someone that's going to show up when when his team needs him the most. Um, looking for guys that exhibit toughness, and toughness isn't just a physical attribute. I think it's more so a mental and an emotional attribute. Are you someone that can handle the rigors of being, you know, a, a D1 athlete that maybe asked to take a, a physics test on Thursday and play against Michigan on Saturday? And can you handle that? Or can you handle running out in front of 100,000 people on a Saturday playing against great competition and show up and be at your best, or are you going to be intimidated? And to me, those are elements of toughness that we're always looking for. We're looking for great teammates. You know, um, we're looking for, for men that exhibit team ego over just individual ego. Sure, we want you to have an ego. We want you to think you're great, and we want you to have that athletic arrogance, but can you submit yourself to the team environment? And... You know, more so than just being the best player on the team, can you be the best player for the team? And I think that's so critical. So those are some of the things we're looking for, and those are some of the ways that you can be seen. Coach freaking Mora. I love it. I'm excited. I'm excited for the future of the Connecticut Huskies. It's not going to be just a basketball school anymore. Let's go. I know Coach Penders has done a hell of a job turning it into a baseball school as well. Oh, uh, great job. They're pretty close to going to the World Series not too long ago. I know he's going to break that door down here. But, uh, man, really excited for you, Coach Moore. I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing. Uh, you're, you're freaking awesome. My pleasure. It was really fun to talk to you. That's Jim Mora, head football coach for the UConn Huskies. Thanks for listening to the Reform Sports Project podcast. I'm Nick Bonacore, and our goal is to restore a healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. For updates, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our website by searching for the Reform Sports Project.